Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull those out. And if you have a sermon notes page, go ahead and grab that. I'm going to ask you to jot down uh, a couple of things uh, this morning as we look at this morning's topic. Uh, Today as we talk, uh, we're going to talk about one of the things that I think every single one of us deals with, sometimes regularly, but oftentimes it happens in certain seasons and stages of our lives. And I think it's true across the board, whether you're a teenager or a senior adult, somewhere in between, that every single one of us get into these moments or we get into these areas or we get into these seasons where ultimately we feel like we're empty. Have you been there recently? Anybody ever been there recently? Have you felt that pressure of being burnt out? Have you felt that pressure of being spread thin? Have you ever felt that pressure of there being so much going on? You're like, I don't know what to do. I'm seeing some head nods and uh, uh, I'm seeing some elbows as well because we've all been there, haven't we? I mean, we live in a nation of people that are running on empty. We live in a nation of people that, that are really spread thin. This last week, I went up to a training event that had to do with small groups and Sunday school and all that kind of stuff. So I was up in Nashville, and so uh, I was downtown Nashville. I walked out of my hotel, and guess what was right across the street? Guess what I saw? A <laughs> No, but that's a good, answer, good uh, guess. I saw a Starbucks, so I, I guess that was a pretty vague question, right? So. Yeah, so I saw a Starbucks, so I walk across the street to Starbucks, and then when I walked out of the Starbucks and looked sort of catty corner to the other corner, guess what was on the other corner of the street, A eh? And a cowboy. But uh, yes, uh, thanks for the courtesy laugh. But yeah, so, so I'm, I, I walk into a Starbucks, and I get caffeine. I walk out of a Starbucks. I look across the street. There's another Starbucks. Recently, I was at somebody's house. They do uh, Advocare. Have you ever heard of Advocare? And so it's got all these health drinks and stuff. And so there's two different drinks that give you energy that they sell. One is called Spark, and the other one uh, is called, what's the little... Anybody, Advocare person, a little shot thing? Slam. Slam, yeah. So they had a spark and a slam, and this person mixed the two. <laughs> they mixed the two. We live in a generation of people that we're looking for energy wherever we can find it. Hey, I'll drink it. Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll go for one Starbucks. And I, I mean, a lot of us, we, we plan our routes based on where we can pick up caffeine on the way. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we live in a generation of people that feel like they're running on empty. And here's the problem with this is because this is subtle. Nobody sort of points this out. This is part of normal life, but the danger of it is that in the middle of running on empty, whether it's caffeine that you need, whether it's rest that you need, whatever it is that you may need, the danger is when we live this way for so long, we're tempted just to walk away from what God has for us. Whenever we're running thin, whenever we're, we're running in a bunch of different directions, whenever we're doing so much stuff, and it's not necessarily bad stuff, but we're just running, 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 we hit a wall, and there comes a moment where we're ready to quit. And so that's what I want to look at this morning. In the Old Testament, there is a story in a book called First Kings. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and be finding First Kings chapter 19. And in First Kings 19, we meet a guy named Elisha. Elisha was a powerful guy. Elisha is a guy that did amazing things for God. If you know his resume, he does unbelievable stuff. And yet this guy, the Bible says, is a lot like you and me in the book of James. He says he's a guy just like us. 
And what happens in 1 Kings chapter 19, this guy that's done amazing things, this guy that's done incredible things for God, hits a wall and he finds himself empty. And so my question is this morning, what does that look like? I mean, if this is such an issue, if it's such an issue that we've got senior adults that say, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do anymore. I, I just feel like there's so much going on around me. What do you say to a teenager that just goes from game to game, from sports to sports, from activity to activity, even during the summer? What do you do with that? It's every mom that's just like, man, I just want a few seconds of silence. thought there might be an amen there or something, but there wasn't. <laughs> to every, every parent that's trying to figure out what do I do in the middle of this, I think 1 Kings 19 has a great reminder for all of us. So if you have your Bibles, look at it. Big point number one, if you want to take notes and follow along. Big point number one, anytime we're running on empty, number one, it makes us a time bomb. It makes us a time bomb. Some of you know what I mean when I just say that. You, you, you know what I'm talking about because breakdowns or depression or uh, burnout, usually it doesn't happen in just a moment. It doesn't happen in just one second. Usually it's something that's been mounting underneath the surface. It's stuff that begins to stack up. It's stuff that begins to layer itself. It's stuff that begins, all good stuff, it happens a lot of times, that begins to stack up and over time it's just ticking away. Listen to what it says, 1 Kings 19 verse 1. Now Ahab, who's an evil king, tells his wife Jezebel, so, so we've got these evil leaders that are in charge. It says in 1 Kings 19.1, now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Now that's one of those verses that's easy to read past. That's one of those phrases that's easy not to think about it, but that is a pregnant statement. When, when, when Ahab turns to his wife, so Ahab has seen Elijah do amazing things. His wife wasn't there, so he goes back home to the palace, goes back home to spend time with her. She's assuming that, 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 that Elisha, who was their enemy, was defeated. But instead, Ahab shows up and says, you're never going to believe this. Elisha did all this. Well, what did Elisha do? Well, Elisha confronted a guy named Obadiah. Elisha predicted a drought. Elisha raised a boy from the dead. Elisha prayed and the drought was broken. And Elisha uh, uh, had a showdown with basically 450 prophets of the false god Baal. This guy had a full to-do list. You see what I'm saying? This guy had been busy. This guy wasn't just relaxing. He wasn't on vacation. He wasn't chilling. This guy was involved in major stuff. And so in 1 Kings 19, when we read about his burnout, we read about his running on empty, it's all good stuff. I mean, he did what God wanted him to do. He confronted Obadiah. He, he confronts the prophets of Baal. He raises a boy from the dead. But in the middle of that moment, all those things were ticking. All those things were layering. If you're taking notes underneath that first point, let me describe this a little bit. A, he had fatigue. He had fatigue. It's natural for us to get tired. It's natural for us to get worn out. We may be spiritual beings at the core, but we live in physical bodies. Right? We, do, we may have unlimited potential, but we don't have unlimited energy. And so we're, we're, we're confined by this. And so just like Elisha, who's been running, Elisha, who's been doing all these amazing things, you and I, A, we just get tired. We get fatigued. 
B, for Elisha and for us, anytime this time bomb begins to go off, is not only A, fatigue, but B, frustration. Frustration. Elisha's frustrated with everything that's going on. Elisha feels isolated. He feels alone. He feels like nobody else is on his side, and he gets frustrated. And that's what happens to you and I as well. We get frustrated when we've got more commitments than we've got support in our life. We get frustrated when, when we're running in so many directions and yet there's no foundation under it and we just get tired, we get frustrated, and then see, we, we begin to have fear. We begin to have fear. We begin to think, well, maybe this isn't going to work out. What if I let people down? What, what, what if this doesn't play out the way that I thought it should? And it, what begins to happen is these things begin to layer up where we're tired, we're frustrated, we've got fear, tired, frustrated, fear, tired, frustrated, fear, and it becomes like a ticking time bomb. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in one, swell, one, one, one swoop. It doesn't happen in one moment. It begins to, 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 begin to just begin to pull apart at our soul. And we get to the point where we become irrational. We get to the point where we think, well, this isn't working. I'm just going to walk out. We get to the point where we think, well, maybe God's not at work in this. Maybe I need to step back. This, this is very real. I don't, I don't know if this connects with you, but for me over this last month, I've been seeing this firsthand. I've seen it in my own life, but probably a month, month and a half ago, I went to lunch with one of my friends from the church here. We went down to Applebee's, and we were just talking through lunch. And uh, an amazing young man that I got to hang out with, I get to sort of unpack a little bit of, of his story, where he, he's moved here from college, and uh, in college he was uh, just really active, really plugged in, a lot going on, really soared, got great honors, did great things, and yet at the end of that, at the moment of graduation, at the moment of moving back home and coming to a place where there's not a lot going on for him, he begins to feel that frustration. He was tired from everything that was going on. Now he's frustrated because he had all of these plans, all these things that he wanted to do, that he felt called to do. And then he started looking around and he's like, man, these things aren't working. This isn't what I thought it would be. And in the middle of that, I could sense that fear was setting in. Have I missed what God wants me to do? Does God really care where I'm at? Is God committed to what I'm doing? And I'm telling you, it's real. And instead of feeling bad about it, instead of acting like, man, I shouldn't feel this way, realize this is ordinary. That after seasons of victory, we become vulnerable. After seasons of doing great things, we, we have this area of weakness. So big point number one, if we're going to make it through this empty season, we need to recognize that it makes us a time bomb. And then big point number two, if you're taking notes, it motivates us to bail. It motivates us to bail, to want to quit. See, all of this is stacking up for him. All of this stuff is underneath the surface. All this stuff is, is coming in from all these different angles, from work, from spouse. From, you, you look at it in your life where you've got all of this input around you. And listen to what happens to Elijah. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Well, what had he done? He confronted Baal. What had he done? He had raised a dead kid up and brought him back to life. What had he done? He he'd performed one of the greatest miracles in all of the Bible and then here's what happens. Listen to the rest of verse 1. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, 
So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them tomorrow about this time. So what she's saying is, Elijah, I'm going to have you killed. So he's confronted Baal. He's called uh, uh, fire down from heaven. He's raised a boy from the dead. And now an evil woman says, I'm going to kill you. And listen to the next phrase, chapter 3, verse 1. And he was afraid. He arose and he ran for his life. He confronts Baal. He raises a boy from the dead. And yet at the word of a woman, he runs. I'm sure there's a joke in there somewhere, but I'm going to be good and stay away from that. Of course, this would have been the hour to do it when my wife's coming next hour, so I should have made that joke now, but missed opportunities, right? But he runs. He runs. A guy that was confident. You have to be confident to raise a boy from the dead. A guy that that had strength. You have to be strong to face hundreds of prophets of a false god. And yet in this moment where you layer all this fatigue, fear, frustration, in the middle of this moment, he says, the best I can do right now is I'm going to quit. And that's what emptiness does for us, that no matter how good things have been, and no matter what all God's been up to, and no matter how faithful he's been throughout the course of our lifetime, in the middle of empty moments, we say, you know what? I am done with this. It's subtle. And what we say to a lot of people often is we say, in the middle of frustration, in the middle of fatigue, in the middle of fear, never make a life-altering decision in that moment. One of the ways we'll say it this summer, we've got students that are going to Student Leadership University at the end of July. One of the things that's said there often is, when you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, and when you're tired, you need to halt and don't make that kind of decision. And yet we live in such a generation of people that don't know how to pause. We don't know how to take a deep breath. We don't know how to rest. And so we rush ahead. We rush ahead and we say, you know what? If this isn't working, then I'm going to quit. And we end up quitting on what God's called us to do. I was thinking about this morning how, how awesome it is to be able to honor vets and to think about all, all those that have gone before us and secured our freedom and fought for our freedom. But it boggles my mind that it takes a war or it takes a death for us to take a day off in this country. Have you noticed that? I mean, think about how many holidays we have that are tied to the death of somebody, right? Whether it's President's Day, MLK, whether it's Memorial, uh, just go down the list and, and, and it just gives you a sense that, that we're not good at pausing, we're not good at rest. And so running on empty is dangerous. Number one, it makes us a time bomb. Number two, it motivates us to bail. Then big point number three, it manifests itself in a total breakdown. It manifests itself in a total breakdown. So what happens for this guy that has done amazing things for God is he begins to run for his life. He begins to run in the opposite direction and he begins to hide out. Listen to what it says in verse 3. And he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life. So if you're taking notes underneath that third point, just write this down. A, dread begins to set in. Dread begins to set in. 
I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't, I, I don't know how I'm going to face this next thing that's in front of me. So dread begins to set in where he begins to lose hope and he begins to lose confidence and, and he begins to lose sort of that resolve to do whatever God's called him to do. It, it just begins to erode away in his soul. And then B, it leads into depression. It leads into depression. When you look at verse 4 and you start reading about this, it says at the very end of verse 4, here's Elijah's words to God. He says, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take my life. Think about that. Here's a guy that's been walking with God for for the majority of his life, and now he's sitting underneath this tree saying, God, it's enough. I'm done. I don't know what to do. God, would you just take me out and listen to this last phrase, for I am not better than my father's. Well, his fathers were evil. His ancestry was not good. And now, even though he's done all of these amazing things, he's like, God, take me out. I'm no better than anybody that's come before me. And then you begin to see this depression set in. That happens to us when we're empty. That, that zest for life begins to disappear. And that, that, that desire to, to grow and to do what God's called us to do, it begins to waver. Right? It starts with A, dread, B, depression, and then C, it leads to full-on despair. It leads to despair. It says down in verse 10, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken have forsaken forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars and they've killed your prophets with the sword and I alone am left and they seek my life to take it away. I don't know if you feel the despair in his voice. After facing all of this, he feels like he's alone. He feels like he's been abandoned. He says, look, if you look at the rest of Israel, they've turned their back on you, God. When you look at the rest of Israel, they've broken the commandments, they've broken the covenant. I am the only one that's left. He feels isolated, and that's exactly what happens to us when we feel empty. We feel like it's us and against the rest of the world. We think, man, nobody gets what I'm going through. Nobody feels the weight of this. Help. Help. And we begin to break down. We begin to break down. Weeks ago, I sensed this is what God was laying on my heart to talk about on this day. I didn't know that leading up to this day, God would walk me through this. I don't, I don't know if y'all have ever had that moment where you're, you're learning something, and you're like, all right, I read about it, and now I'm feeling it, now I'm living it, and you're like, hello, God, I got it already. But the last couple of weeks have been crazy. I mean, our discipleship team has been hammering away at a lot of uh, things that we feel like God has placed on our heart. So we got we stuff going on in the middle of that. I, I'm looking ahead towards the fall. I'm like, man, groups have been amazing this year. We don't want to settle. We, wanna, we want more and more people to get connected community. So we're having all these kind of conversations. And then I'm out of town and, and it's just back to back to back stuff. And then at the beginning of the week, I got sick and it sort of lingered throughout the week. I had to drive through the night to get back home from, from the Nashville trip, and I was just wore out. And by Friday morning, with the phone calls, the emails, the texts, the decisions, I got up that morning, and, and Laura, my wife, if y'all know her, she's Miss Perky Morning Person all the time, right? So she wakes up smiling. She's happy. She's like, good morning. And my response was, well, what's so good about it? Have y'all ever had that morning? 
Is that too honest? <laughs> Is that too transparent? I said it sort of jokingly. I was like, well, what's, what's so good about it? And she's like, well, how, how's your day? And I just, had, I, I just felt the weight of everything going on. And my words literally were, I wish I could just go back to bed. I don't know if you've felt that way. I don't know if you've been there. But what I want to say to us this morning is just because you feel it doesn't mean you're in the wrong. Just because you feel it, a lot of times we, we beat ourselves up over it. We're like, well, I just need to try harder. <laughs> I need to get a discipleship book and fill in some more blanks. Maybe I just need to listen to another sermon. And here's what I want to say to us in the middle of the story. That's not what God does for Elisha. God doesn't say to Elisha, well, you just need to snap out of it, buddy. <laughs> you need to get over it. You need to try harder, do better, do more stuff. That's our American answer. Our American answer is, hey, let's just do something about it. But there's this fourth piece I want you to write down this morning. It's what I call the ministry of turning back. There's a ministry of turning back. Listen to how this is described. It says down in verse 9, Then he came there to a cave, and he lodged there. So he's hiding out. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? God doesn't beat him up. God doesn't say, snap out of it. God doesn't say, what's your problem? Instead, God comes to where he's at. God comes close to him. So A, if you want to take notes on this, A, he reclaims him. This is God taking a step towards him. I claim you, Elijah. You're mine. I am yours. I'm here with you. So God takes a step towards him. He reclaims him, and then B, he reorients him. He reorients him. If you look at verses 11 through 13, God takes him through a series of trials or series of events to get his attention. It says in verse 11, so he said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and a strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. So this amazing gush of wind comes through, rattles everything around Elijah. But then listen to what it says in the end of verse 11. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord, again, was not in the earthquake. Verse 12, and after the earthquake, uh, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle blowing. Listen to verse 13. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle. He went out and he stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? You know what God's doing? This sounds crazy if you're just reading it for the first time or hearing it for the first time. What God is doing is getting his attention and reorienting him. What do I mean by that? Well, often what happens in the middle of emptiness, in the middle of burnout, we get tunnel vision. We think everything's going wrong. We think we're the center of the universe. We think everything revolves around us. And now that everything's fallen to the side, whether it's marriage, work, kids, grandkids, whatever it may be, we feel stressed out. We think the world is falling. The sky is falling. And God will use moments of reordering, reorienting us to say, He's still in charge. He's still on the throne, right? 
There's not panic in heaven right now. He's still in charge. So A, he reclaims him. B, he reorients him. C, he redirects him. He redirects him. So, so here's Elijah saying, I'm the only guy left. I'm the only guy still living for the Lord. And listen to what happens in verse 15. As God's speaking to him, he, it says, The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you've arrived, you shall anoint Hazel, king over Aram. It, what God begins to do is he sends him back out on mission. While Elijah's having this pity party saying, I'm the only guy left, what God does is says, no, there are 7,000 followers that are waiting. They're in the wings. He sends us out on mission. See, a lot of times whenever we're in the middle of of a full-on meltdown, maybe you're like me, where on Friday I'm like, I'm just, I need to shut down the phone, I need to shut off the internet, I I, I, I need to go off the grid, so to speak. Well, the danger is when we stay there for too long, we miss the assignment that God has for us. Oftentimes, the way to get out is to, is to do the opposite of what we want to do. It's to find somebody to serve. It's to find a place to give. It's, a, it's, a, it's to say, instead of me having this pity party, I need to find something meaningful to do in somebody's life. And so he begins to redirect us. Then here's the last one, D, he renews us. He renews us. This is the bulk of the chapter. It says in verse 5 that he laid down to sleep under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him. Listen to what the angel said to him. And the angel said to him, arise and do what? Arise and do what? Eat. I love that verse, don't you? That ought to be a memory verse in in church, shouldn't it? (laughs) Like, I can do that, right? Arise and eat. Listen to verse 6, the very end of verse 6. So he ate and he drank and he laid down again. Verse 7, the angel came to him a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great. So he arose, he ate, and he drank. This doesn't sound spiritual, but it is. Sometimes in the middle of emptiness, in the middle of a breakdown, in the middle of burnout, the best thing that we can do is rest and allow God to minister to us. And so he spends 40 days eating, drinking, and sleeping. And what begins to happen is God speaks into his soul and says, I know that what you've been through feels, it feels huge, but I'm still in charge. I know that you feel like you're the only one, but there are still other people serving at the same time. And he says to him, Elijah, I'm not done with you. I've got something more for you. And so my prayer for all of us this morning, myself included, is if you're in the middle of emptiness, that there is hope. And if you're not there now, I know that there's going to be a season that you are. In the middle of that season, pause and allow the work of the Lord to renew you. Would you bow your heads for prayer this morning? Would you close your eyes? And I'm going to ask nobody to move around or distract the people around you. This morning, maybe you find yourself right in the middle of this story. Maybe you find yourself worn out and spread thin, and you feel empty. And sometimes when we feel empty, we feel really vulnerable. We really do. But sometimes I think that's exactly what it takes for God to speak into us. He's looking for people that are empty and open to him. 
So this morning, if that's you, if you feel like you're just spread thin, ready to bail, would you open your heart and your life to him today? Would you allow him just to minister in your head and your heart today? Would you allow him over these next moments just to begin to show you that he's still at work, that he's still in charge? Maybe this morning, there's never been a moment that you've asked him to be in charge in your own life. Maybe there's never been a moment that you've asked him to step out of heaven and step into your heart and to live inside of you. That's where all of this begins. So if that's you and your head and your heart, you can just ask him. You can say, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that my sin separates me from you. That I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And that you're alive today. And as best as I know how, I ask you to forgive me save me. Help me to live for you. If you pray that for the very first time today, right after the service, I'm just going to be hanging out. I'd love to know that. I'd love to be able to give you some resources to help you in that, that walk. If you're a believer and you just feel like you're empty today, would you pray this part of the prayer? Would you just say, dear Jesus, help me to rest in you today. Would you come and fill me with your strength? Father, would you work in us 